today on Ag News Daily. I knew I wanted to get into showing cattle, but those are expensive 4-H projects, and that wasn't something my family could afford. So he knew somebody, he knew a family out in western Nebraska. Um, They were a seed stock outfit. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and happy Thursday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell flying solo today. I almost said it was Friday, but it is not quite. It is Friday Eve today. And it is a good day overall here in central Iowa. Pretty cool, crisp weather as we uh, continue to head into the fall season here. But uh, Ashen is heading back home today, so I gave her the day off. She's going to go be see- going to go see some family down there and her Texas area. So it'll be just me today on the podcast. So let's go ahead and dive into some news for today. I'm going to kick things off here with an update on Hurricane Ida, which is now being quoted as one of the top five costliest hurricanes in history of the U.S., Wall Street Journal is putting out more dollar amounts about the damage, and they recently put out a report that shows the storm is poised to be one of the top five costliest hurricanes on record and so far estimating an insured losses between $31 billion and $44 billion. Now, let me just compare that here because as a lot of our listeners know, I do a lot of public speaking, so I follow these things pretty regularly here. And in 2019 and 2020, in total for those two years, we had about $60 billion worth of losses due to all different types of weather events. So we're talking hurricanes, flooding, droughts, wildfires, etc. So those two years in total were about $60 billion. Wall Street is saying that this one event is going to be somewhere between 31 and $44 billion for this just one event. So that is a crazy amount of money and definitely going to be something that could hurt producers as well as a lot of other folks. Now, I guess the big difference is there. The $60 billion was specifically for agricultural losses. This is saying all insured losses, not necessarily subject to just agriculture in general. So we don't necessarily have that number yet. So we will have to continue to watch and see what number pops out there. But just an interesting one here to kick things off for today. Another interesting one here, well, really not an interesting one if you think about it, is the Federal Reserve concluded their September policy meeting yesterday afternoon and essentially kicked the can down the road. Their next meeting is going to be scheduled for November 2nd and 3rd, but they basically just said they're waiting to see if economic progress continues broadly until they make an official decision about tapering, according to Fed Chairman Jerome Powell. He said that the committee generally views a gradual tapering process to conclude around the middle of next year and interest rates were left near zero as expected. So we'll continue to watch here and see if anything happens in the coming meetings for the Federal Reserve. But kind of in the same note there, we have seen overall U.S. jobless claims for the week of September 18th came in at 351,000 jobs this morning, well above the average trade expectation of 320,000 jobs. So we're continuing to see a lot of jobless claims. However, that's coupled with the fact that a lot of places are hiring and for whatever reason, people aren't getting out there and getting into the workforce. Uh, COVID concerns, you know, there's a lot of other stuff there outside of that that's playing into this as well. But 
that will definitely have an impact, I'm sure, into the Fed's decision about what they do here moving forward. And as we switch tracks here just a little bit, USDA released their net export sales report today for the week ending September 16th, and soybeans sales fell to about 913,000 tons versus 1.266,000 tons the previous week. All wheat sales fell as well, but corn sales rose to 373,000 tons versus 249,000 tons the week prior. So we saw a little bit of strength there for corn, not so much for uh, soybeans and wheat. But this is, you got to consider, this is peak export season. And as we're continuing to watch the U.S. Gulf shutdowns, uh, because of post-IDA activity, continue to hamper export sales. That's definitely playing out and continuing to play out here and definitely causing some reaction in the grain markets. But in other news, Tyson Foods, Purdue Foods, and other companies have reached a $35.8 billion settlement with chicken growers who alleged in February of 2021 in a lawsuit that the companies conspired to, of course, artificially reduce the amounts paid to broiler grow-out services. This is just one of many lawsuits, as we've been talking about on the podcast, that are continuing to settle here. But just as a little bit of backstory or reminder about this one in particular, because there have been so many, in February of 2021, a class action lawsuit was filed in the U.S. District Court for the District of Eastern Oklahoma, the producers from Oklahoma, Kentucky, Alabama, Mississippi, West Virginia, and Texas alleged that these companies, quote, illegally agreed to share detailed data on grower compensation with the purpose and effect of artificially depressing grower compensation below competitive levels. So that has been officially paid out. Chicken producers who were part of this lawsuit between years of January 27th, 2013 and December 31st of 2019 may be eligible for payouts from this $35.8 billion settlement. So if you were a poultry producer during that time, definitely eligible, it sounds like here. But according to the settlement, Tyson will pay about $21 million of that and Purdue the other $14.8 million into the settlement fund. And Tyson said in a public release here that they agreed to offer, quote, certain cooperation in the ongoing litigation against defendants, not a part of the settlement. So this has uh, definitely made some headwind here, but we should see the court has scheduled a February 18th of 2022 hearing on whether or not to approve this said settlement. So it's not set in stone yet, but they have at least come to a verdict of this is what they are willing to offer. So definitely a long, lengthy process here. Wish it would have been anyways, but COVID definitely does not help that one little bit. But I tell you what, folks, other than the markets for today, I really don't have a whole lot of other news. We're going to keep things a little bit shorter today. We do have a great interview, though, coming up with a beef influencer. You may follow her on Instagram. But before we get into that, let's kick things over today to see how markets 
treated us this afternoon. And we did finish pretty well through the day here. We were chopping sideways for a little bit there, so I wasn't sure if we'd finish higher, but we did across the board in the grain markets. December corn up four cents today to close at 529 and a half. The March up three and three quarters to close at 536 and three quarters. In the soybean pits today, this November contract up a penny and a half to close at 12. 84 and a quarter. The January up two and a half cents to close at 12.94 and a quarter. And looking over here into the Chicago wheat pits for today, big moves today in the wheat market as the Chicago contract December added 13 cents to end at 7.18 and three quarters. The March up 13 and three quarters cents to close at 7.29 and three quarters. In the livestock pits today, we had mixed trade today as the October live cattle contract shed a nickel to close at 123.32 and a half. The December up seven and a half cents to close at 128.62 and a half. In feeder cattle today, again, mixed trade here. Well, really not mixed trade. We saw mostly weakness as the October contract shed 82.5 cents to close at 156.85. The November down 12.5 cents to close at 158.10. And in lean hogs for today, we had some continued strength as the October contract added 90 cents to close at 84.75. The December closed up $3.12.5 to close at $76.50. And wrapping up with the Class 3 dairy milk futures, we saw weakness today as the October contract shed $0.08 cents to close at $17.27. The November down $0.04 cents to close at $16.94. Without further ado, let's get over to our interview today with Anna. Well, today we are talking to Anna Kobza, who is a graduate student at West Texas A&M University, and she's also an ag influencer, so we're definitely excited to have her on. Anna, thank you so much for coming to chat with us today. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. So Anna, before we really deep dive into our conversation here, I definitely want to know a little bit more about you. I, of course, follow you on Instagram, so I know a little bit about your story, but not a whole lot. So what is your background and how did you really get involved into agriculture? Mm -hmm. So I'm originally from a small town in eastern Nebraska. And so I grew up there. Um, I'm I'm a Texan transplant. I didn't move here till about a year ago. Um, but I grew up, um, I grew up in a small rural community, so I was definitely always exposed to ag, um, but I just didn't grow up directly in it. Um, my dad has been in the military all of his entire adult career, and my mom is a nurse in the emergency room. And so neither of them really would have had the time to farm a ranch, even if they really wanted to. But um, I was involved in 4-H and FFA growing up. I showed horses for the longest time before I made the switch to cattle. And it was then that um, I kind of started to really become more interested in the beef industry and started considering careers in agriculture, um, really got involved in FSA. And that um, that is kind of what lit my initial fire for agriculture. And so um, at that point, I decided, you know, I kind of wanted to take a pre-vet route going into college. And so that's what I did. I was pre-vet my first year of college, which didn't really mean much. I was taking the general education courses that you're required to do. Um, but the summer afterward, I worked for a veterinarian and I really enjoyed all the things I learned and all that I was able to do. But I just had come to the realization that it wasn't the career path that I wanted to take. And so then I kind of flipped into nutrition. I had only taken a couple 
animal science classes um, and nutrition was a component of them. And I just, um, nutrition was something that came easier to me. It was something I enjoyed learning about. And so I knew that I wanted to focus on a career um, in beef cattle nutrition. So that's kind of where um, or how I ended up down here at West Texas A&M. Um, I'm getting my master's right now in ruminant nutrition, I'm specifically studying feedlot nutrition down here um, at WT. So um, like most animal science majors in undergrad, I was pre-vet. And like most, I did not end up that way. So that's how I got to where I'm at down here. Well, I love, Anna, that you're kind of a transplant to Texas and you're also kind of a transplant in agriculture, but we will sure take you because you've had (laughs) an amazing journey. It looks like here on Instagram, we're going to kind of give you the title of an ag influencer, especially for the beef industry, because a lot of your posts are featured around Mm -hmm. beef and livestock in general. But I'm curious, not growing up in ag, you were a horse gal. How did you make that jump into then working in feedlot nutrition and more specifically becoming kind of an influencer here for the beef industry? Mm-hmm. So, Well, actually, what's kind of like a funny story is I showed horses um, and I, sh- I showed a bucket calf when I was little, but that was my only experience with beef cattle. Um, but I had a, we had a family friend who we were very close with and he raised cattle. Um, and I knew I wanted to get into showing cattle, but those are expensive 4-H projects and that wasn't something my family could afford. So he knew somebody, he knew a family out in Western Nebraska. Um, They were a seed stock outfit and they basically lent me two breeding heifers over the summer and all the show feed that I would need for them. And so there's the reason that I got to show that summer and that I continued showing. So um, if it wasn't for them, I may not very well may not be where I'm at today, but so that's how I kind of made the switch from horses to cattle. I just kind of found out how much I loved cattle. And I don't think before I knew that. Um, and today I've kind of, um, when I first started using social media, I didn't really have a direction of where I wanted to go with it um, or what I wanted to focus on. Um, I was kind of covering all aspects of agriculture. Um, but today I'm pretty well focused Um on the feedlot sector of the industry, just because that's what I do on a day-to-day basis. And I do talk a little bit about ranching um, um, just because I do have some kind of content and experience with that. But feedlot is where I um, mainly focus because I feel that there's kind of a gap in like the ag influencing world as far as, um, well, there's a lack of influencers, I think, that focus on the feedlot sector of the beef industry. And so that's kind of, I think, my niche Um, and the role that I fill. So Anna, I want to dive into the feedlot industry a little bit more. Of course, we're in cattle country down here in West Texas, and it must be pretty difficult, at least being, you know, in the feedlot industry, you know, the ag industry, it it is, you know, predominantly male driven and the feedlot industry is no different. I feel like maybe the feedlot industry from the outside looking in is a little bit more male dominated um, than, you know, most sectors of the ag industry. So what has that experience been like for you being a young woman, being in cattle country, being around all these probably older men in the industry and trying to pave your way? No, you're definitely not wrong. That's definitely an observation I've made myself is that yes, ag is more male dominated in general, but I do think that the feedlot industry is probably more so than any other sector of the ag industry. However, I will say that um, at the WT Research Feedlot, where I work as a grad student, there are more girls than there are boys there. So 
we're definitely making our way um, through the industry. Um, and I would say I've had majority of my experiences have been pretty positive. I've had very few bad encounters um, with men in the industry. Um, and I'm, I'm surrounded by a lot of good male mentors um, and people who have, who are very encouraging of mine and other females careers in the feedlot industry. So I would say it's been a pretty positive experience, but I know others who have had maybe some not so positive experiences, just the way they've been spoken to, um, referred to. Um, but I would say that we're becoming pretty well accepted in the feedlot industry, which is good. I mean, there's definitely changes being made. Um, probably not where it needs to be, but it's definitely well on its way. So, and I'm curious to know a little bit more about the research and the work that you're actually doing in the feedlot industry. Would you mind telling us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So um, at the research feedlot, um, we have a number of grad students who work there and they were all studying different things from nutrition to health. And so um, we have different studies that come in and out of there that we do that may be in regards to um, as far as nutrition goes, you know, um, how different, uh, uh, different things affect our animal performance, um, our efficiency, our carcass outcomes, that kind of thing. Those are typically our nutrition related studies. And then the health studies, you know, there's studies you can do with vaccines and, um, health management protocols and things like that to study, um, how we can affect morbidity and mortality in a feedlot. Um, and I can't share details of all the studies we do since none of that stuff is published yet. It's proprietary, but um, we do do a lot of uh, smaller scale studies with um, the resources that we have available um, on both health and nutrition. So, Anna, as we kind of wrap up here, I want to talk a little bit more about your ag influencing stuff. You know, the stuff that you're posting on Instagram when we're talking from a consumer standpoint, because I mean, I'm sure you have a lot of people who are involved in the ag industry that follow you, you know, myself being one of them, but you're mainly at least what it, what it looks like is trying to kind of connect with consumers, educate people. What are some of the top things that you really want to get across through these messages? Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that I think I struggle with the most is that the following I have, I think is predominantly people in the ag industry and so it feels like a lot of times I'm preaching to the choir right because all these people yeah they know what I'm talking about they understand my struggles um but um it is because it is with those followers that I have that I need them to share and engage with that content so we can reach the people who maybe don't follow me and reach those consumers who don't understand those struggles and the issues that we face but um what was your question again (laughs) Oh, you're good. Um, just kind of what your your main points that you're kind of hoping to get across to consumers and how you want to connect with them? Yes. Okay. So, and I think what's, what's really important for consumers to understand is that um, we are people just like them producing their food. We eat the same products that we're producing for them. Um, you know, I know that feedlots get a wrap as big, bad, corporations um, with unfeeling humans behind them. Um, but that, that just isn't the reality. And so I want people to understand that or at least be open to the idea of listening to us and talking to us about the way we're producing food on a large scale for the American consumer. And I think that's a really important discussion that needs to be had. Um, and that I, I try to do that on a daily basis. I try to 
um, engage with anybody who DMs me or comments or, or shares my content at all. I try to engage with those people and um, teach them what I know. And if there's anything they can teach me, then that's, that's all the better. Um, Just having open discussion and, and dialogue that goes both ways is super critical. Well, Anna, it has been really great getting to know you and getting to know a little bit more about what you're doing at WT. For our listeners who want to follow you or learn more, where can they go online to find you? So on Instagram, my page is called Ag Acknowledged. And I do have a Facebook page um, for those who may not have Instagram. And I've tried to change that name to Ag Acknowledged for the longest time, but I can't figure it out. So it's just Anna Cobza, which you should be able to find it if you search both, I think. Um, but those are the two platforms that I am on. Awesome. Well, Anna, thank you once more for coming on today and good luck to you and your grad school endeavors. Thank you, Ashton. Well, folks, again, you can follow along with Anna on Instagram. She does tweet a bunch of awesome stuff, and I love that her story did not necessarily start in agriculture, but she's definitely made a name for herself there. So if you're on Instagram, follow along with her. But also, while you're there, make sure you're following along with us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Find us at Ag News Daily. With that, folks, let the people go.